come home, preach an upbeat, stand up and clap and shout message. And uh, I, I just, God, now it's going to bless you. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I couldn't get away from what I want to talk to you about today. And that is our brethren who are suffering throughout the world through Islamic persecution. Now let me say right up front, God didn't call me to propagate political correctness. He called me to preach his word. So, so I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be very forthright. I'm going to be very truthful and very honest and upfront. And I'm not here to attack a religion. I'm really not. I'm just here to tell the truth. And the truth is easy to find if you look. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring information. Then I'm going to bring a warning then I'm going to bring encouragement. So, and, and I mean strong encouragement. So from the beginning through the end of the message, hang on, you're going to be encouraged in the end. But until then, you're going to get informed. Okay? So let's read this verse, and I want you to read it with me because here's a command. It says, ready? Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them. And people who are mistreated is if you were in their place. Now, I want you to pay real attention to that because here's what God is saying. If one hurts, we all hurt. If one brother hurts, we all hurt. If one sister hurts, we all hurt. Paul said in another place, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So somebody gets promoted, you rejoice. But if they are hurting, you weep with them. And that's how the body of Christ interacts. So what we're going to do today is keep in mind those that are suffering throughout the world at the hands of persecution. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the word of God. And I pray that your word will wing its way into our hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit touches us with the feeling of the infirmity of our brethren. Now, can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell them it's not about me, it's all about him. One more time and you can be seated. I don't know how much of the news you uh, watch or read. But if you watch any of it, well, of course, American media isn't telling us most of what's going on. But you at least know that throughout the Middle East and Iraq, Egypt, Africa, and many other places in the world, there is a storm of Islamic persecution that has been unleashed against Jews and Christians, primarily, not only, but specifically and primarily. People like you and me and our children, dads and moms, uncles and aunts and Elementary school children and babies and teenagers have fallen under the gun of Islamic persecution. Pope Francis has recently stated 
The persecution of Christians today is even more virulent than in the first centuries of the church. And there are more Christian martyrs today than in that era. Now stop and think about that statement. Because when we talk about, you know, the first century church, we always talk about how that wicked Nero and all the other Roman emperors so viciously persecuted God's people. And Nero taking Christians and putting them on stakes and, and covering them with pitch and lighting them as torches to light his garden. We hear all those terrible stories. And even Fox's Book of Martyrs is how the, the, the church was built on the blood of martyrs. But here is the Pope saying that martyrdom, Christian martyrdom, is more today than then. And here we are, we're in a little protected bubble, a bubble which is getting thinner by the day. So what I believe is it's time to pull our heads out of the sand and blow a trumpet and tell the truth. Now, what's even worse to me is that the atrocities against Christians at the hands of these brutal Islamic terrorists are being really largely ignored. Our woefully biased, left-leaning, agenda-driven news media breaks speed records to cover the shooting death of one teenager in St. Louis, as bad as that was, yet they, along with the White House, respond with virtual silence to the wholesale torture and massacre of men, women, and children just because they are Christian. I believe the Western church is going to have to wake up, and I said in the first service, I'll say it again in this one because you don't know which one's going to go on the radio. To any pastors listening, I love pastors. Uh, I fellowship with pastors. I minister to pastors. But pastors, it's time for us to get out of the church bubble, bless me club, and start telling the truth about what's happening to our brethren around the world. We've got to insist that the media start covering it and that the White House recognize it and do something about it. Now, like I said, I'm gonna be very blunt, I'm gonna be very open and very truthful and straightforward today. I want to clear up some disinformation about the difference between Islam and Christianity. Now, I'm not going to say anything that is not found in their own Quran. I'm not going to say anything that is not in the historical record. I have no personal axe to grind. I'm just going to tell the truth. We're told by many today that Islam is a, a peaceful religion. President Bush, as you know, went on record following 9-11 and said Islam is basically a peaceful religion. And on top of that, we're told by some that we all worship essentially the same God. The, the, the God of Islam and the God of Christianity or the God of Judaism are one and the same, that, that it's just different names for the same God. This is what we're told. This is the propaganda that's out there. The God that is called Allah by Muslims or Buddha by Buddhists or Jehovah or Yahweh by Jews and Christians, he's the same God. We just got him under a different name, but we're worshiping the same one. 
I'm going to show you today that that is absolutely impossible. Now, there are even some, and I'm talking about a couple of names, that if I named them, you would know them, Christian leaders who are saying the, the, the two are so much the same, the two gods are so similar that we just need to merge them into one, one faith and call it Chrislam. Chrislam. I'm going to show you that that's impossible. Now, let's take a little brief walk through the history of Islam. Islam began in 622 AD. The name Islam, you should know, means submission. To be in subjection to. To be dominated over. The meaning of its name is in line with Islam's goal, which is total world domination under the rule of what is called Sharia law. Now, that's straight out of their Quran. That's straight out of their founding documents. If you ask a knowledgeable Muslim, what is your goal? What is Islam's goal? World domination. And I'm going to read it to you in the equivalent of their Bible, which is the Quran, it says in chapter 61, verse 9, quote, He it is who has sent his messenger Muhammad with guidance and the religion of truth to make it victorious over all other religions. Let me say that again. Victorious, as in conquest, over all other religions, including Judaism, Christianity, even though the infidels, and that's you and me, any non-Muslim is an infidel. Even though the infidels hate it, end quote. Now let me just summarize that. It's easy. Islam's goal is world domination under Sharia law, no matter whether or not those subjected to it hate it or not. In other words, it's not a voluntary joining. It is by conquest. When Muslims or Islam takes control, th their dominance is carried out by Sharia law. Sharia law controls all aspects of Muslim life, daily routines, family and religious life, financial dealings, everything. Everything under Sharia law is under that iron fist. Wherever Islam gains control, Sharia law follows without exception. And it might shock you to know that Sharia law has already made inroads into America. Once Sharia law is instituted, that society is dominated and owned by the Muslim religion. Listen to what one leading American Islamic cleric said. American Islamic cleric, quote, Islam isn't in America to be equal to any other faith, but to become dominant. The Quran should be the highest authority in America, and Islam the only accepted religion on earth. You hear that? That the Quran should be the highest authority in America. And Islam the only accepted religion on earth. Well, where does that leave Christianity, Judaism, any other religion, Buddhism, anything. It is all overshadowed by 
squelched by, stopped by the dominance of Islam. You ought to know, church and America, that Islamic principles defined by Sharia law are in absolute direct opposition to everything Americans believe regarding the law and civil society. If Sharia law were ever to take control, our freedom of speech and religion would totally disappear. My ability to do this right here, right now, would be gone. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I anticipate it, and and I'm going to answer you. While it's true that many Muslims are peaceful and reject violence, and I know that, many do. However, the intrinsic nature of, of Islam, the DNA of Islam, focuses on world domination. It's in their founding documents. It was in the heartbeat of Muhammad. It is their intention and their belief, and it's where their faith is. As for its size, Islam is the second largest religion after Christianity in the world. There are over 1.5 billion people in the world who call themselves Muslim compared to 2.1 billion who call themselves Christian. Let me break that down in percentages. 22% of the world call themselves Muslim and 31% Christian. Now, the founder of Islam, as most of you know, is named Muhammad. Muhammad was born around 570 A.D. in a place called Mecca, which today is modern Saudi Arabia, that area. When Muhammad was 40 years of age, he claimed that he received a visitation from the angel Gabriel. Gabriel visited Muhammad and, according to him, began to give him revelations and uh, truth about the world, about God's will for the world, about Allah, Islam's God, and about the future. And these so-called revelations continued until Muhammad's death in 632 A.D. Now, it's these revelations that he claimed to having received from Gabriel that were eventually compiled by his followers in what became known as the Quran, the Islamic Bible. So the Quran is supposedly the statements of Gabriel to Muhammad in a book. When Muhammad started to preach these revelations, he was met by resistance in his hometown of Mecca. Uh, After some years of rejection and persecution, Muhammad migrated in 622 AD to the town of Medina, also in that area of Saudi Arabia. Now, Medina had a very large Jewish and Christian population who Muhammad attempted to persuade his way, bring them to the belief that he was a prophet like a Bible prophet. Like he was like another Isaiah, Jeremiah. He carried the word of God. He tried to convince them of this, but they rejected him as a prophet in Medina. But now he persevered. And over time, his influence in Medina grew. And it was here that he established the first Islamic state. Now, when an Islamic state is established, we hear it today, it's called a caliphate. A caliphate is a is where a caliph, C-A-L-I-P-H, a caliph is an Islamic leader who takes 
control leadership over an area. And once he does, then the caliph creates a caliphate. He created the first caliphate in Medina and he became its political and religious leader. Now, from this point forward, Islam grew and spread like wildfire through the power, not of words, but primarily the sword. It's all there in history. It's all there for anybody to go read. They spread following Medina through military conquest, what they call jihad. Now in 630 AD, Muhammad led his followers back to his hometown of Mecca where they subdued it through force, through jihad. So Mecca fell to Islam by the power of the sword. In a few short decades, after the death of Muhammad, Islam had spread like wildfire with large sections of North Africa, Asia, and the Middle East falling to its violent armies, even Israel and Jerusalem. Now, these facts alone, stay with me and think with me for a minute, church. These facts alone should tell you that Islam and Christianity are polar opposites. The Lord Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, you notice right there that Jesus is telling you and me to judge. You know, you know what the most popular Bible verse out there is in the secular culture nobody with the folks that don't go to church and don't know the Lord? Well, they know this one, judge not that you be not judged. You're not supposed to judge. Who are you to judge? And they quote Matthew 7, verse 1. But here's the deal. Of course we're to judge. Jesus wasn't telling us to put blinders on our eyes when he gave us that verse. He was saying, don't involve yourself in self-righteous, condescending judgment. Don't judge others for what is in your own life. But he never said, don't judge. How in the world am I going to tell if a piece of fruit is good or rotten unless I judge it? Come on. Well, Pastor Jeff, it's not right to judge. Of course it's right to judge. Even the sparrows in my backyard stay alive by judging a hawk when they see one. I mean, they, they know the shadow of that hawk when it comes. I've watched them because I feed them. All of a sudden, you'll hear this flurry of wings. They run up against the window. They got out of there. They fled in a hundred different directions. You look, and way out there is a hawk. A blue jay can fly up. Hey. A cardinal can come along. They don't do a thing. They know what a hawk look, looks like. They know how it flies. They know what it sounds like. They know their enemy. They judge, and by judging, they stay alive. And you think God's going to tell us not to do the same? So what are the fruits of these two religions? Jesus said, you're going to know them by their fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So what are the fruits of these two religions, Christianity and Islam? Let's look at the two founders. Because as, goes the, the, as is the root, so goes the fruit. Whatever the root is, and the root of any religion is its founder, then the fruit will be according to the root. 
So what did the two founders teach? What was their message? Well, Muhammad taught his followers to take up the sword and kill on behalf of Islam. And again, I'm just quoting from the Quran. In the Quran, there are 109 verses that have to do with violence towards non-Muslims. 109. Quran chapter 9, verse 5. Fight, this is Muhammad, fight and kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. Take them captive, harass them, lie in wait, and ambush them using every stratagem of war. Quran chapter 9, verse 14. Fight them, non-believers, non-Muslims, and Allah will punish them by your hands. Lay them low and cover them with shame. He, Allah, will help you. So here's the message. When a Muslim kills someone in the name of Islam, it's really not them, it's Allah doing it through them. That's the message. In contrast, do you know that our Lord Jesus taught nonviolence as clearly as anything? He was nonviolent. He said to Simon Peter, you remember when the, the, the guards came to arrest Jesus? Simon Peter pulled out his sword and whacked off that guy's ear. You remember that? And what did Jesus say? He looked at Simon Peter and kind of said, tisk tisk. He said, Simon, put up your sword back in its place. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he picked up this man's ear and put it back on, and voila, it was healed and put back in place. Now, guess what? If I watch somebody pick up an ear off the ground and put it on some guy's head, and it's immediately healed, I don't arrest him. I take him home with me. <laughs> Come home with me. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, who couldn't understand why he wasn't fighting, why he wasn't standing up for himself. Jesus said, here's why. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world, so my followers don't fight. Look at the two polar opposites. Kill those who don't agree with you, one. Love those who don't agree with you, two. Muhammad taught his followers to hate and destroy those who are not Muslim. The Quran says in chapter 98, verse 6, that non-Muslims are, quote, the most vile of created beings. In contrast, Jesus taught his followers to love their enemies. But I say unto you, said Jesus, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. For there you are being like your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what have you done that the heathen do? See, Jesus said, I'm taking you a step above that when you've got an enemy, I want you to love them. Not hate them, reject them, spurn them, ostracize them, or kill them. And what about Islam's beliefs? Now, one day, Paul the Apostle in, in 1 Timothy, he wrote a really small encapsulated statement of faith. And here it is. I love it. And we're going to put it up here. He said in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God 
and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Isn't that an amen verse? Isn't that a great one? Now, the followers of Islam would agree with the first five words in that verse. There is one God. Now, there is one God. They would agree with that, although Christianity teaches a triune God, that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. He is three in one. But, but Islam says one God, not triune, but one. His name is Allah. He's not the same. But they would agree with the first five words. They could, they could go with us there. For there is one God. But the similarities stop there. They would not agree with there being one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, because they believe that Muhammad was the mediator between man and God, not Jesus. Nor would they agree with the last part of the verse that claims that Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. They would not agree with that because you know what? Islam teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross, but rather that Allah raptured him away to heaven to protect him from the Jews. So according to Islam, there's no death on the cross by a sacrificial lamb. Jesus was not the son of God. And John tells us in 1 John that whoever says Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that God didn't come in the flesh in the person of Jesus is antichrist. It's antichrist. So if, if a religion says, well, Jesus was not the son of God, he didn't die on the cross, and he, he did not give his life a ransom for many, the spirit of that is a spirit of antichrist. Only an antichrist spirit would seek out and kill Jews and Christians. Some of you are saying, oh, Lord, be with Pastor Jeff in the future. You know what? I wish every pulpit in the, in the country was just getting up and, and telling the truth about what we're dealing with. Because I want to guarantee you, folks, it's coming to a neighborhood near you. Now, how then, how then, reading these things, looking at these things, just looking at the Bible and looking at the Quran, how can Islam and Christianity be compatible? How could you ever say Chrislam? How are their gods one and the same? They can't be. Biblical Christianity teaches emphatically. Watch this. Jesus is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus was God in the flesh. Not a first century hippie walking around in sandals saying cool things. He was God wrapped in skin, identifying with our plight, dying for our sins, rising from the dead on our behalf, so that we could be redeemed from the consequences of sin and snatched from the clutches of an angry devil. That's why he came. So the Bible says Jesus alone died for our sins. He resurrected from the dead. He's the only way to heaven. And salvation is a free gift received by believing in Jesus Christ alone. Let me put it to you this way. If you're here today and you have never said, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and I turn to you by faith. 
I've heard the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I heard that, and I got convicted. And Lord, I believe that what I heard is true. You are the savior of the world. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and, and forgive me and, and, and redeem me. If you've never done that, you're lost. I don't know how else to put it. He said, well, Pastor Jeff, that's just kind of strong. Yes, Jesus was strong. He said it. You're lost. You may have money. You may have a girlfriend, boyfriend, great family, great marriage. You may have all kinds of things going for you in the eyes of the world. But if you haven't turned to Christ, your soul is lost. You're lost. If you die today, you will go to a devil's hell. You will perish. You will. Jesus said that. He that believes not that I am he is condemned already. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. So conversely, Islam teaches that one must not only believe on Muhammad, but you must earn your way into heaven in various ways, including martyrdom. I want you to know that in Islam, heaven is never a certainty. What a, what a torturous existence that would be because it's all on your works. God, or one only finds out whether Allah is going to let you into heaven after your death. Man, I want to know before then. I want to know before then. And according to, to the Bible, you can know before then. We can know that we are his, know that we are saved, know that our souls have been redeemed. We can know it. In Islam, there's no atonement for sin. There's no savior. There's no guarantee of a glorious afterlife. No guarantee at all. It's just when you die, you find out then. Now, of particular interest to us today is that Muhammad instructed his followers that Jews and Christians were to be particularly singled out. Now, here's where I'm going with this today. Jews and Christians were to be particularly singled out. Listen to Quran. Chapter 4, verse 76. O you who believe, do not take the Jews and Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. And whoever among you takes them for a friend, then surely he is one of them. Surely Allah does not guide the unjust people, meaning Jews and Christians. May Allah destroy them. End quote. Interestingly, here he is in the Quran singling out Jews and Christians. So Jews and Christians, according to Muhammad, are unjust and should be destroyed. Now, there's no question in my mind that passages like this one were alive and well in the minds of those men who hijacked those jets in 9-11 and flew those jets into the trade towers, believing that as soon as they struck the trade towers, they would wake up in heaven with 72 versions and a happy life. And boy, did they have a shock. According to the Bible... There's no question in my mind that passages like this were alive and well of the animal who beheaded the American journalist, videotaped for the world to see, the video of which I will not look at because that's what they want me to do, but beheaded an American citizen. There's no question in my mind that verses like this, you're doing God a favor. Didn't Jesus say the day is going to come when those who kill you will think they're doing God a service? Didn't he say that? Yes, he did. 
So let's talk about what's happening in our world as we speak. We're witnessing a fresh gathering storm of Islamic hatred right now against both Jews and Christians, not just Jews and Christians, but, but primarily in the form of terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and the worst of all, ISIS. It was a representative of ISIS who beheaded that American journalist. I still can't figure out where is the rage in Washington that an American citizen was beheaded. Where's the rage? Well, that's another topic. The land of Israel is now totally surrounded. Let's just look at Israel for a minute. Land of Israel is now totally surrounded by predominantly Muslim nations dedicated to her destruction. Since Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip as a peace step in 2005, terrorists have fired more than 11,000 rockets into Israel, the apple of God's eye, God's land. Now, I'm not saying the Jewish people are better than anybody else, but here's the deal. They are God's covenant people. They are the apple of his eye, and that land is the apple of his eye. That land is the land he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, starting in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So no wonder Satan hates that land. 11,000 rockets. Can you imagine Count to, from 1 to 11,000, see how long it takes you, and imagine every one, every number, being a rocket aimed at you. These rockets have the capacity of striking key cities like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Over 5 million Israelis are currently living under the threat of rocket attacks each and every day. Can you imagine waking up every day? Is the siren going off before noon? Is it going off before I get to work? What are we going to do if it goes off and the kids are in school? More than half a million of these Israelis, of the five million I just mentioned, who live under the daily threat of rocket attack, over half a million of those have less than 60 seconds to find shelter after a rocket is launched from Gaza into Israel. So the alarm goes off and you know you've got 60 seconds to find an air raid shelter. Every day it is, okay, kids, I may have to come get you. Here's what you do. Here's what I'll do. Here's where we'll meet. 60 seconds. That's the Jewish people right now. As for Christians, reported cases of Christians killed for their faith worldwide... Watch this, doubled in the year 2013 from the year 2012. So the number of Christian martyrs in 2012 doubled in one year. In Iraq, the Islamic terrorist group called ISIS has committed unspeakable atrocities against believers by the thousands. And I told myself, I won't say what they're doing to Christians in a mixed crowd with children in it. Christians like you, like me. who love the same Jesus, worship the same Lord. We did just now. They have been given the option in Iraq by ISIS, convert to Islam, pay the Muslim tax, leave Iraq altogether or die. And they have one week to make up their mind. This persecution of Christians by radical Islam is happening in Africa 
Egypt, Iran, Iraq, the Middle East, and other major portions of the globe, and America is on their target list. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, did I come to church today to get scared? No. I told you I'm going to encourage you. Hang on. Grab the edge of your seat. But I got to tell you the truth. You know what, you know what pastor means? Episkopos is one of the Greek words that means pastor. Epi means watch over or over. It means over. Epi is over. And scopos means watch. Episcopos means watch over. So I'm called to watch over you. I'm called to tell you the truth. Episcopos. Well-known pastor and author Erwin Lutzer writes, I do believe that a powerful hurricane is on its way and we'd best be ready. We should not fear the storm that is coming, but be diligent in preparing for it. I don't know to what level radical Islam is coming this way, but folks, it's here. It's here. So I want to give you three words, close with three words. I'm going to give you a comforting word. Everybody say, Phew. I'm going to give you an encouraging word. So everybody say, all right. And I'm going to give you a motivating word. Because let me tell you, in light of all these things, God has everything under control. Everything. Let me give you a comforting word first. And I'm going to put it up here because I want you to quote this verse with me. Here's the words of Joshua to Israel just before they crossed the Jordan to face the giants of the land in their day. The terroristic threat of their day was these giants. And they were crossing the Jordan to face them. So Joshua looked at them and gave them a word from God. Here it is. I want you to read it with me. Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be terrified. Nor be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Now here is a, an encouraging word. And I'm quoting the words of Elisha. You remember Elisha and his servant were in the tent. The servant Gehazi woke up in the morning, looked out the tent, and he was surrounded by the Syrian army. And he basically said, alas, master, it's over. It's been great. Been real knowing you. This is the end. This is the end. And, and, and Elisha just kind of said, oh, Lord, you know, please open his eyes. And I want us to read together what he said to the servant. Are you ready? Here it is. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then God opened up his eyes. And he saw the mountains surrounding them filled with chariots of fire and the angels of God. And I want you to know, folks, that for every demon spirit in the world, there are two angels that did not fall. And we have with us God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Now here's third, and I like this one best, a motivating word. I'm going to quote the words of the Apostle Paul because Paul held on to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, let me tell you about the unparalleled power that is in the gospel. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Can everybody say that with me? It is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, let me add, and for the Muslim. 
Did you know that Muslims are being converted to Christianity all over the world? Do you know that angels are appearing to Muslims where Christian witnesses cannot go and preaching Jesus Christ to them and they are being saved? The power of God is manifested in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me tell you what our resolve is. No matter what happens, what comes our way, how far into America radical Islam infiltrates, we are more determined than ever to take this mighty gospel of Christ to as many as possible, in as many ways as possible, as quickly as possible. And I believe that a church that stands up and refuses to compromise on the blood, on the word, on the person of Christ is the greatest force in all the earth. And this whole thing could be turned by the preaching of the gospel. I believe that. So I want us to stand together today, can we? And I want us to do what the first service did. You may not, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but take the hand of the person next to you. And we're going to do what the verse we read in the beginning instructed. We're going to remember those who are being tortured, persecuted, martyred as if we were them. Let's pray together. Bow in prayer. Father, we come to you with the persecuted Christians all over the world. Moms and dads, teenagers, children, babies who are facing this terroristic threat eye to eye who have lost loved ones, whose lives are in jeopardy every day. We pray for them today. Lord, we lift our brethren up to you. We pray that you will send them relief. We pray that as the angel appeared to Peter in the prison, that, Lord, they will experience visitations from your comforting hand. We pray that you will send them supplies, food, water, miraculously. That you will move on nations to carry in relief. We pray, Lord, that you will give them great courage. And we pray that their gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the force of that gospel, will begin to undermine this terroristic movement and defeat it. Lord, we know that it will happen not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God accompanying His gospel. And Lord, we pray for Jerusalem. We bless Jerusalem. We pray that you will watch over that apple of your eye, your people, though they are in rebellion against you and have thus far as a nation denied you. They are yet your covenant people and we pray for them and bless them and pray for your hand to be on them in protection. And most of all, Lord, we pray for our country right now that the gospel of Jesus preached under the anointing of your spirit by bold Christians who are not apologizing for it will turn the tide 
and send revival once again, Lord, into the schools, into the government, into homes all over America. Moms and dads will come to Jesus and there will be a move of salvation like we have never seen. We ask you for it, Father. Now with our heads bowed, you're here today and you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've drifted. And I so sense his call to come home. Or maybe you've never said, Jesus, I come to you by faith, forgive me of my sin and come in. You can do it today. You can be saved today like many were in the first service. If your head's bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories and I'll let you pray with me. I want you to raise your hand. Do it quickly. Lift it up. I need Jesus. I need him. I need to come home. I see you. God bless you. And God bless you. And God bless you. Several of you. I want you to do something right now. You see, this is a moment we may never have again, like today, where we just come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you raise your hand, or even if you didn't, slip out, and I want you to come and stand right here. Say, why do I need to come down there? Because it's a step of faith. And when you take a step of faith, God honors that. I did that in juvenile home when I was 16 years old. You come and you just say, I need Jesus today. So if you raise your hand, I want you to come. Nobody cares. Nobody's looking at you. I just want you to come and let's pray together. As we sing, you come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.